as you can imagine, I felt conflicted as John did um, uh, in terms of my message. And of course, this unfolded on Friday, which made it a bit confusing for me as to which way should I go this morning um, as, a, as a father of a seven-year-old who attends K.I. Jones. Um, I couldn't help but replay in my own mind um, the scenario in Connecticut in, in our town. Um, and you can feel just a bit of the fear and, and the brutality and the vileness and the evil of it. And just the thoughts of, of uh, families who will sit around a Christmas table with empty chairs. Just, you know, it's just almost too much for the human soul to, to feel. I actually had to turn off the news at one point because the stories are so painful. Um, I suppose it gives a, a little bit of, of comfort to us to know that while this world cannot bring justice to every situation, the man who did these evil things um, died without going to trial, um, that there will be a trial someday before the Almighty, and justice will be served, and we can trust in that. Um, there's a lot of things that could be said this morning. As I said, I felt conflicted on Friday. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? I mean, we could try to grab um, with our mental hands uh, and try and resolve how a God who is supposed to be perfectly and completely good and yet perfectly and completely powerful and sovereign could stand by and allow such um, evil to take place. Um, But no matter how we try and find an answer to that question, the answer ultimately I don't think satisfies. And we end up back usually at the same place of acknowledging that sometimes we just don't know, don't understand why God does certain things the way he does. Why, for example, in the book Facts, does God allow James, the brother of John, to be murdered while he delivers Peter? Um, And I don't really know the answer to that question. And uh, those who have gone before us for thousands of years haven't had answers to those questions. God didn't give Job the answer to his question. And and really what we have to do in times like this is is to confess with Moses in Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong to the Lord. And the things revealed belong to us. That there are simply some things we don't understand and we don't know. But because we don't understand something about God doesn't mean we can't trust him. Just because we don't understand something about God doesn't mean we can't trust him. And I'll tell you where I hang my hope. My hope and my faith um, hangs on the simple belief that God in his goodness will just as he brought salvation out of the most horrific murder in history, the murder of his own son, who is the only innocent person to have ever walked this planet, uh, bringing about our salvation, that he will likewise somehow bend evil to the glory of his name and the good of his people in a way that says that this is truly evil and worthy of judgment, but somehow is able to bring good out of it. That's where I hang my hat of hope and where we as Christians have to hang our hat of hope. So as I was thinking, I, well, I, coming back to it, I didn't really think that was a really good direction to go, and, and I felt like the Lord led me to a place uh, where we're supposed to be celebrating joy this morning. And the sense was that I got, as I was thinking and praying, Lord, what in the world do you want me to say? It's Friday. I just found out this bad news, and people in our congregation are going to be wondering, hurting, mourning, questioning, doubting. And I really felt a strong direction that, Lord, Dan, you need to take them in the direction of joy, but in a way that connects to the pain and in a way that shows how we in our joy can bring light to the world 
and make a difference. So that's really what I want to do is just um, Jesus is the light that came into the darkness and then he calls us, let your light shine too before men that we might be ministers of change uh, in our community here in Fairfield, in our neighborhoods and wherever we work and play. And, um, but I want to go in one particular way or direction um, that we can be lights in our world based upon um, the light that has been given to us in Christ. And, um, and it really comes out of a single verse found in the book of Acts, and, and I'm going to have it up before you. It's just one verse, one statement, and I, and I just want to meditate on it with you this morning in a way that looks at God in a way that looks at us. It's a statement that, 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 uh, that Jesus made that is recorded nowhere else um, in the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the history of Jesus' life and a lot of his teachings and sayings. But the one that's found in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, is nowhere to be found in the Gospels. Um, but it is preserved for us by the Apostle Paul. Um, and the setting of this particular verse is he is saying goodbye to, his, um, to a group of elders that he loves and loves him. He's saying goodbye. He's headed to uh, Jerusalem and then to Rome to die himself. And, um, and so he's saying goodbye. And, and in summing up how he lived his life in their midst, he calls to memory this verse um, the statement of Jesus, where he says, remember the words, this is Paul speaking, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the statement. It's one of his beatitudes that isn't found in the Gospels. It is better, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, the word blessed could also be translated happy. A person is happier, more fulfilled, more joyful in the giving of themselves in, than the taking or the, or the getting. That's the sense of, of this particular um, verse, that a person is actually experiences greater fullness and happiness in life when they give of themselves rather than take. Now, golfers talk sometimes about a, a sweet spot in their uh, golf club um, I have absolutely no expertise in golf. I'm a horrible golf player. Um, but they talk about the sweet spot in the head of a golf club, where if, if your swing is right and you connect the ball to the sweet spot of the head, the ball flies, and you'll see a golfer smile, and all is right in the golf world. It's golf nirvana to hit the ball um, in the sweet spot. I believe that there is a sweet spot in the Christian life. And that sweet spot is when Christian people, people who are followers of Jesus, actually spend their lives giving of themselves rather than taking. Giving of their lives rather than receiving or getting. And there is tremendous joy and happiness in the process, but also um, a light that proceeds forth from the giving of their lives that changes the world around them which runs opposite to the way in which our world lives. Um, I don't have to tell you, especially at Christmas time, when you get in line at the malls that are a thousand miles long to buy something, that we live in a, a materialistic, consumer-oriented culture, where it's primarily about me and feeding me and, and getting and taking as much as you possibly can. That's, I'm the consumer, please serve me. Um, and unfortunately, many followers of Jesus unwittingly buy into it too, um, I see it sometimes when people look around for a church family to be a part of, that is a church to be a part of, and the single most important question is, what church is going to offer me the most? 
That is, it becomes really how, which, which church will serve my needs the most, rather than where is a place where I can actually serve God's kingdom? That's a different question altogether. That it is better or more blessed, more happy, more fulfilling to give than to receive. Um, and I thought about this. I thought, you know, the reason that this is true for us that we actually experience greater levels of joy and happiness in the giving of our lives than the taking is because it's also true of God. That God is, as he is revealed in the scriptures and ultimately in the person of Jesus, he is a, a God who overflows with a sense of joy, with a sense of happiness, with a sense of delight in the giving of himself to us. He loves it. He delights in being someone who is gracious and giving, gratuitous, extravagant, lavish. I can imagine um, way back before Genesis 1, before the first light, you know, ray hit the earth, before the, God said, let there be light. I can imagine God the Father and the Son having a conversation. And um, this is with a little anthropomorphic imagination. That means thinking of God in human categories and relationships. I can imagine God the Father, God the Son, Christianity is Trinitarian, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I can imagine God the Father and God the Son having a bit of a conversation before anything was created, in which the Father says to the Son, Son, uh, let's create, and let's create beings, beings that will have a distinctive likeness to us, beings that we will vest with our glory. Beings that will have the capacity to commune not only with each other but with us and to enjoy each other as well as enjoy us. To create and to love. Let's, let's make beings that shine forth who we are and are able to relate together the way that Father, Son, and Spirit relate to each other. And I can see God the Son saying, yes, let's create beings and then let's just lavish upon them um, gift upon gift upon gift upon gift. When we decide to create a universe, let's not just put one star in the sky uh, to govern the day and the night or to mark off the seasons. Let's, let's populate the heavens with so many stars that they're going to spend thousands of years baffled by the largeness of the expanse of the universe. And, and let's not just give them a home, a Spartan home without much. Let's plant fruit trees and grain and let's provide animals that are friendly and, and, and let's, let's, let's create Odors of all different kinds, wonderful sights and sounds and music. And, and, and let's not just create one color of flower, but a vast array of a million different colors of flowers. Let's just completely lavish upon them gifts to show them how much we love them. And I can see the Father responding to the Son. All, before anything's created, he says, you know what, though? They're going to turn from our love. And they are going to reverse the way we created them to be. Instead of being self-giving, self-giving, loving people, they are going to become people who lust for power and for position. And they are going to be jealous of one another, step on one another, and they are going to do brutal things to each other, and they are going to murder each other, and they are going to kill each other. I can see God the Son saying, well, Father, then should we create them at all? And I can see the Father saying, yes. Because we are going to show these 
fallen, ugly, evil, capable of so much evil creatures. Just how gracious we are. That we are still going to give of ourselves to a human race that doesn't deserve it the most wonderful gift possible. And here's the deal, son. Father talking to son. I want you, when this creation falls, I want you to go down and wrap yourself in their flesh. And I want you to go and I want you to experience their pain. I want you to walk in their shoes. And I'm going to tell you, son, that when you arrive, they're going to hunt you down. You are going to be the object of jealousy, the object of hatred, the object of plotting to kill. And in the end, you will feel the full weight of the sting of human evil when even your closest friends betray you and leave you. But in those moments of the darkness and as you face death, you will take upon yourself the fullness of their evil and guilt, and you will rescue them from the bondage of their own self-destruction. And I can picture the son saying, yes, I see what you have in mind. I, I am going to go, and I, I willingly and lovingly will wrap myself in their tender flesh, and I will go down, and I will be mistreated, and I will be abused, and I will be tortured, and I will be crucified to show them just how deep and high and wide and long is the love of Christ, God in Christ, to show them your love. Or in the words of Ephesians chapter 1, to the praise of your glorious grace, I will go to show them the extent, the depth of your grace. God is blessed. He's happy. He delights. He delighted to give himself to us on Christmas in life. That God is blessed, he delights, takes great pleasure in offering himself on Good Friday in our place in death. That God delights to offer to us resurrection life Easter morning. And he's going to delight to offer us a renewed creation where we will see him face to face with one another in perfect joy, without tears, mourning, or crying. And Jesus will share with us in an unimaginable display of gratuity. He's going to share with us his power and his reign, his life, his glory. God loves to give. He is, we might say, more happy to be the giver of all things than to receive anything because he doesn't need anything from us. Except. <laughs> Hallelujah. Where was I? Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, I know where I was. You know, um, he asked a question. So why, God, would you give that much? Really, uh, uh, immeasurable. I think uh, Paul would sum it up this way, so that in the coming ages in which we exist a million years from now, 
so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us in Jesus Christ. We'll, friend, we'll spend forever unpacking just how great his grace and love is. The greatest, the greatest verse, I also won't say the greatest, the most popular verse, and I think one could argue the greatest verse that most everybody knows, John 3.16, for God so, so, so loved the dark, decaying, ruinous world that he, he gave, he gave, he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish with the world, but would have everlasting life. And I believe that that is the pinnacle of God's greatness. The things that we read about in the Bible, like God's wrath and his punishment, which are very real. Wrath and punishment that those serve as the dark velvet upon which the glorious diamond of his grace and love shine. God is blessed to show off his grace. And he's blessed to show off his grace by sending his own son to take our place, die, and give us life. And when we come to believe in the reality of that truth, What it does to the human icy, cold heart is it begins to melt it, transform it, and to heal it. And then God, in a a work of grace, begins to turn people who are innately getters into givers. That's what he does. So this verse, I think, is true for us because it was true of God. But it does stand to reason that if this is true of God, then, and he is the, above all else the giver, then if we are to be like him, and if this is, by the way, the way that he decided to shine his light in the world by being a person who gives of himself, his own son, so that we could be with him, well, then it stands to reason that the way in which we um, show him to the world is to do the same, to actually live lives of self-giving, rather than hoarding or taking or getting. And this is how we shine, one of the ways we shine a light into the world that is um, obsessed with thinking that we're happier with the more that we have, which we all know is a lie, and nevertheless, many people still believe the lie. And who could argue that it's not more fulfilling or more satisfying to give of oneself than to take? I know that that's true in my own life, but I, I know it's true in other people's lives too. I, um, I was reminded of this a few weeks ago um, when a lady that goes to this church, she happens to work at the, the health club that my wife and I um, exercise at, and um, we see her almost every day, four or five days a week, and, and we've had the privilege of exchanging prayer needs. She's prayed for some people in my family, I've prayed for people in her family, and and uh, um, I don't know, months ago now, she came up to me and she says, Dan, I have great news. I'm like, well, what's, what's the great news? She goes, I, I'm going full time. 
And up to that point, she was part-time. And, you know, to, to receive a, a full-time job, especially in this economy, is a wonderful gift, right? And she was excited about it, and she was rejoicing at receiving, the receiving part. And it is good to receive, and, and it, there is a joy in receiving. And we should give thanks and rejoice that God gives us things like full-time employment. Now, fast forward. This, this just call her Jim Lady, my friend. Jim Lady, nine, ten months ago, gets a job and shares the good news with me. And now fast forward to three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. I'm on the elliptical, drenched in sweat, huffing and puffing, and she sees me and she makes a beeline like she's on a mission over to me. And she's just glowing, you know? And I can tell she just has to talk to me even though I'm like sweats flying and, you know, huffing and puffing. She's got to tell me a story because there's something bubbling up inside her she cannot contain. And she proceeds to tell me a story of how she was used in someone else's life in a gracious way. She told me, and I just have to paraphrase this. She says, Dan, you know that I'm a sponsor for a lady, um, sponsor to a lady who is a recovering alcoholic. And, and she went on to say, this, this, this lady... Um, she has kids, and she doesn't have anything to give them these holidays. And you can imagine yourself as a parent. You know, everybody else's family are giving gifts to the kids, and your kids don't have anything. I mean, it's just push it just puts you in a difficult place as a parent. Well, Jim Lady, guy, friend, she sees this need of the person she's sponsoring, and, and God provides something for her to then go and give to this family. She's able to give to them a game for the kids that is actually quite expensive, which, of course, the kids don't deserve. But in that moment of giving, she was able to bring joy to a mother and to children who otherwise wouldn't have anything. And she said, that is the best feeling. That is the best. The one who got the most joy in that moment wasn't the kids who got the game. They had a joy of receiving, but, but it was her who got to see God use her to give something to somebody else. And I look back at the two responses. The response to receiving the full-time job, she did rejoice. But there was a marked difference between the joy she experienced in receiving the full-time job than the joy she experienced, the happiness, the fullness of heart she experienced in the ability to give to somebody else. It was overflowing and bubbling. That's exactly what Jesus has in mind. It is the sweet spot of the Christian life to stand in the fullness of receiving God's grace, knowing I don't deserve it, but you're awesome. Now help me to do the same thing to other people. And it is a place of great joy and happiness. That means the world has the approach to joy backwards. You know, thirsting and scraping for more only to find that there's more emptiness and more thirst and more hunger that it really doesn't satisfy rather than the way that Jesus taught us to do. It's like he came to give and in giving there is a life. There's a joy and there is a happiness in the self-giving of life for the sake of another in the name of Jesus. So when we think about the joy of, of the Father in sending the Son, that he enjoys being a giver, and that he has called us to experience the same joy he has in giving of ourselves for the sake of others, that's a way in which you and I can function as lights in this world and make a difference in people's lives. 
Who's to know whether your gift or your giving of yourself emotionally or physically or hospitality or, or whatever it is that God has given you that you can then give to somebody else. That you might be the person through whom God melts an icy heart and turns somebody who could or would be a criminal into somebody who becomes a lover and giver of humanity. So let, let me just challenge you. We're nine days away from Christmas Day. Um, difficult times. Country's going to be reeling from this for a number of weeks, and they're going to be pointing the fingers at everything, video games and guns and everything. Really, the key to the moral transformation of the world in which we live is not found in Washington, D.C. or in Capitol buildings. The key to moral transformation in our community is, is found in those who follow Jesus in whom the grace and the joy of Christ live, um, who are willing to give of themselves to help other people. And I want to challenge you this Christmas to... Think of somebody that is not a friend or a, a family member. It's easy to be a giving person to the people you like and who love you. Jesus said, people who don't believe at all do that. But maybe this Christmas, in the next nine days, you could think of somebody that hasn't treated you very well. Somebody who might be mean, a boss, grumpy neighbor, um, a family member who um, is really selfish. And perhaps this Christmas, I'm challenging you to do something that's out of the ordinary. Do something that makes you uncomfortable. A simple act of giving. Be creative. Ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? And then experience the joy of being someone who is a giver because God has first given so much for us. And you never know, that simple act of giving might begin the process of melting an icy heart and bringing about a change that too will turn them into a Christ-like, self-giving person. And then keep on doing it. Not just at Christmas, but in the days and months ahead. I really hope that God uses us um, in our community. That Fairfield is a different place because we were here, because you were here, because we worshiped here. Um, if not, then it's perhaps because we've been taking from the world rather than giving to the world. And that's my prayer for us. That's my hope for my own life, my own family, my own neighborhood. It's just to give. Um, wanting God to do more of that gracious work of, of change in my heart and in the places where I live, work, and play. Let me pray for you. Father, we are um, just asking you. Um, there is so much.